Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings and welcome to heaven. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast-type situation through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a weird old bag of nuts. And more than familiar with what it's like to get Jogger's nipple, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 23rd of November 1995, and there's no change in the chart as FIFA 96 remains top of the console charts. Robson and Jerome are top of the pops with the double A side of I Believe and Up on the Roof, and Crimson Tide is top of the UK box office. I mean, this is the last week for Crimson Tide, is it not? It's only with us for two weeks at the top. Correct. And, uh, and I, as I said, I've watched it, and it is also on Disney+. Plus. Um, have you watched it yet? I have not had a chance to watch it no uh, it'd be maybe at some point this year i'll get around to it but it'd be like on a watch list for me fair enough i mean i'm just like what have you been doing for the past week it's not like there's been anything going on at all no it's not like one of my, the busiest weeks of my uh, working life not at all which also means i do just want to point out that we did actually get to do an under console nation together in person just a few days ago boy howdy it was fun i was riding high on that because it was just really fun to be in a studio with you again and actually get to do one of those in person it was really yeah. nice. It was it was really good fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. That is now available for our Patreons if you are uh, one of our Patreon backers. And it's just me and you chatting the breeze. Good, like hour and a half, I think the episode ran for. About, about an hour 20. And there's the audio version, which will automatically be dropping into your feeds. But there's also a link to the video version where you can see a man completely fail to know how to sit in a chair. I am all over the place. I'm just like, eh, no, I, I, I can't quite get where to sit to keep eye contact with you and speak into the mic. Uh, it's got to find that comfortable position in these chairs. Like, I'm in these chairs a lot, so I'm, I'm kind of used to it at this point. Yeah, you've, you've, you've got a system. You've got a system. Right, should we quickly talk about Robson and Jerome this week then? Or, you know, not really Robson and Jerome, is it? Because the GU Bricks had a, a couple of backup singers come in here to re-record some stuff or hit some of the notes that they couldn't really do uh, for, for this double A side, or actually for all of their songs. If I remember correctly, um, you've probably got the research on this, but if I remember correctly, the guy, I think his name was something Dyer or something. The Des guy, Dyer, formerly of the band Jigsaw. Yeah, he, um, 
if I, yeah, if he, he challenged them on it. He got a payout, didn't he? I don't think this ever went to court, but he did get a payout. No, correct. He got a payout uh, of about £75,000, and that was at the word of Simon Cowell. And that £75,000 was deducted from Mike Stock's royalties of Stock Aitken, who were kind of producing the Robson and Jerome bandwagon. And it was basically £75,000 just to make it go away. Bit of hush money. It wasn't until 2008 that Stock went, yeah, the vocals were assisted by session singers explaining Des Dyer was brought in to assist with the Jerome part because his voice and Jerome's were similar. The Robson part was done by a totally different singer and the high note was another totally different guy. Stock added that both Robson and Jerome did contribute vocals. They are singing on the record without a shadow of a doubt. That's in the same way that Yoko Ono sings on records or Linda McCartney sang backing on wings. Yes, she contributed vocals, but they were down in the mix. Yeah, it's not quite a Milli Vanilli situation. Um, but yeah, a bit of assistance there because, you know, like they weren't being sold on their voices. They were being sold on the names Robson and Jerome. Do you know how they kind of got the gig of suddenly going from being actors in Soldier Soldier to having a chart career? I mean, the name Simon Cowell being mentioned there is sort of like the first indication. Oh boy, but it gets really, really kind of weird because in Soldier Soldier... Um, there was a wedding and the two of them basically sang Unchained Melody, which was, of course, their big first big hit. Broken whole lot of sheet music. All we've got to do is follow the melody. Well, if you ask me, I think we've been a bit over-ambitious. Don't be daft. I'm king of the keyboards, Al Legion, me. So-called best man can make shift on the drums. Oh, my, Joe was gorgeous on guitar. Great! Like a bloody Cliff Richard film. Yeah, who's playing Cliff? You are, and you know it. I'll do the harmonies. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome tonight's very special guests, the Band of Gold. Thank you very much. Good evening, London. It's good to be back. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, bride and groom, I'll give you the Unrighteous Brothers. And audiences loved it. And the ITV were inundated with people going, we want to buy that copy of that song. And Simon Cowell, a man who, as disgusting as it is to say, does frequently have his kind of like ear, his finger on the pulse. He's very smart at knowing what the cultural zeitgeist is at that time. Like Zig and Zag, their music career is a Simon Cowell project. Yeah, but basically he kind of like caught whiff of this public interest and then pursued the two actors for four months to record the song, to the extent that Robson Green threatened to have a restraining order put against Cowell to stop harassing them. And they, like, Cowell even went after Robson's mother just to, like, try and get to them via her. And they eventually were persuaded to sign a recording contract with Cowell and record a Righteous Brothers-type version of the song as a duo. That's where Stock and Aitken came in, who he'd worked with a lot of times before, and the single was produced, and the session musicians were brought in. And it's odd because a lot of their releases, in fact, I think pretty much all of them were all done as double A-side. So Unchained Melody was double A-side with White Cliffs of Dover. I believe was a double A-side with Up on the Roof. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, they, they were, I mean, they were just covers. They weren't recording original music. 
they released their first album, which just came from, which was just called Robson and Jerome. That was released in November of 1995, became the best-selling album of the year. There was a second album in 1996 called Take Two, which was also very, very successful. They decided not to chance it for a third time and quit the music business, despite being offered £3 million for a third album. Well, yeah, Cal was clearly desperate to release. I mean, they were massively popular. My mum bloody loved Robson and Jerome. She loved Soldier, Soldier. and she Everyone's ha- mum loved Robson and Jerome. Yep, she had these albums, and yeah, she was really into them at this point. Yeah. Great looking at some of the TV events we've had from the past week. On November 20th, during an hour-long interview with Martin Bashir for the BBC's Panorama programme, the Princess of Wales speaks about her marriage to the Prince of Wales, his affair with Camilla Parker Bowles, and admits to her intimate relationship with James Hewitt. An estimated 22.78 million people watched the broadcast, an all-time record for a British current affairs programme. Hello and good evening, and the programme of the decade. Do you think Mrs. Parker Bowles was a factor in the breakdown of your marriage? Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. 23 million people tuned in to watch as many as saw Torval and Dean miss out on an Olympic goal last year, which all goes to show that relationships, whether on ice or simply skating on thin ice, and the power of a woman are brilliant for bringing in television audiences. I think every strong woman in history has had to walk down a similar path, and I think it's the strength that causes the confusion and the fear. Why is she strong? Where does she get it from? Where is she taking it? Where is she going to use it? And where she took it was Panorama. The news of the sensational coup of the BBC's flagship current affairs programme broke at lunchtime last Tuesday. Strong opinions abounded in the press. Cancel BBC's Royal Charter demand MPs. Or at least the ones the Daily Telegraph had spoken to. And this is an interview that was still news last year because of the inquiry into Bashir's and BBC's behaviour and whether they deceived uh, Diana or not. Yeah, no, man. That was, in, that was a huge bit of news last year. Welcome to Games Master. The kind of show you would meet in the street, shake warmly by the hand, go off, have an intimate dinner with, then followed by a passionate two-month affair, split up, but still remain the best of friends with. On today's show, we're featuring men and women whose job it is to dress up in lurid spandex costumes in an event we call... Gladiators, hard, don't make me laugh. Hey, the gladiators are back. I really thought when we got into series five, we wouldn't have any more gladiators on the show, but lo and behold, this is an episode of Double Celebrity Challenges, and it's The Gladiators. Yeah, Dominic welcomes us to the show, saying we're the sort of show that you'd meet in the streets, shake warmly by the hand, and go have an intimate dinner, followed by a passionate two-month affair, but still remain friends with afterwards, which is basically how this podcast started. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Just with a bit more uh, a, a trip to the pub instead of dinner. And Red Dwarf. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, it's nice to see the gladiators back. Nice to see that gladiators are still popular in 1995. Although, and this is something we chatted briefly about before recording, and I'm going to bring it up here, because we've got Panther and Cobra, or Helen and Mike. And they're not wearing their Glad's costumes, much like, you know, the previous contestants would, where, you know, they were in a bloody disused gas station 
uh, wearing spandex, poor bastards. Uh, but but they're, they're in there in kind of, I guess, athletic-ish gear, but not dressed as gladiators. And Dominic flip-flops between calling them Panther and Helen or Cobra. And, and it, it's just, it's odd. It kind of feels like non-canon, if that makes sense. It's a very Series 5 version of this. Like, you know, Series 2, 3, and like where they would have come in in the gear and everything and be like, oh, the gladiators are here. This is just two people who are just friendly folk here, not really to promote gladiators. They're just there to be the celebrities for the week. Uh, but before we get into that, let's head on over to Games Master to find out what the first of these celebrity challenges is going to be. Those spandex-clad superstars, the gladiators, have something of a reputation for being hard. But I wonder if they're up to the challenge of a no-holds-barred strap on one of the next-generation consoles. For today's event, I decided to put them to the test by pitting two of them against two civilian games players to see which team emerges victorious over two separate challenges. The first challenge will be between the girls of each team as they slug it out on the 3D Saturn game, Victory Boxing. Contestants have one round to prove which female fighter packs the bigger punch. As in real boxing, the winner will be determined either by points or less ambiguously, knockout. Ding, ding! We had it reviewed a couple of weeks ago, Ash. Victory Boxing, uh, one that Rick Henderson liked a bit more than Dave, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Dave wanted rocket launchers on their fists or something. <laughs> yeah. Miserable bellend that he is. But yeah, we do have the, we do have the gladiators here with us. Cobra making his return to Games Master as well from Series 3. And if I remember correctly from our Series 3 coverage, he was not that great at the video game stuff when playing Clay Fighter. But thankfully... He is very entertaining. Oh, he's got he's got material prepared. He has. He's got material prepared. And I mean, Dom says that a lot of the gladiators were qualified for this challenge, but unfortunately, only two weren't rehearsing for Panto. And it feels very Panto, this, doesn't it? Like, Cobra comes in here with his butlins routine at the ready. How much do you have to eat then to get a body like that? Well, I eat quite a lot. I used to eat 10 chickens a day, but it was too foul. Oh. <laughs> I have about 3,000 calories a day. Fairly yeah. healthy food. Uh-huh. And you have to work out, obviously, quite a lot. What yep. you, give me some I, measurements, then. Well, my chest is about 48. Um, about the arms, same as mine, then. Uh, near on, yeah. <laughs> give, give or take a few feet. <laughs> <laughs> and the arms are about 18 inches, and I've got 26-inch spires, and uh-huh. I better stop there, actually. Yes, I think we should. Um, right, now, Helen, how did you choose the name Panther? Did you get to choose it, or did they give you the name? No, what we have is a big pool of names, and when we go for the interview to do the strength tests and what have you, they look at you and they say, oh, she looks like a panther. And that's how I got it. Because I'd like to be a gladiator, but I'd like to be called bloke. bloke. I could be that gladiator. Bloke. No, nice bloke. Good. Nice bloke. Well, just oh, bloke even. Bloke. Hard yeah. bloke. Not geezer. Could be good. Not geezer, <laughs> just, just bloke. bloke. And basically, Wolf, when is he going to retire? Because he is 74 years old now and he's not looking any younger, is he? No, he isn't. He actually looks like Maxwell's love child, doesn't he? <laughs> For our viewers who might not be familiar with Maxwell, basically he was old and very physically unattractive and actually very unfunny. One of the great myths of all time that Maxwell was and funny. And now you know why they pick Wolf's name. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering, are they there under their kind of, not under costume and not uh, kind of there under their, their shoot names? Because the Gladiators production office went, look, we're not going to stop you going on the show, but we've seen what that man says. 
and we are not. We're family tea time entertainment. We're not having you go on a show that's all about dick jokes, even though at this point, it's not about dick jokes. It's about pants. But given how slowly television executives can move, they probably still think we're in the season one, two dick joke era. Yeah, that's exactly it. Although maybe it was a case of that, you know, uh, the, the the gladiators were going to come on and Dominic Diamond was just like, well, you know, they can come on, but we don't need to do any of the, like, the gladiator stuff with them. Let's just have a bit of fun with it. They don't need to come on and promote the show, be in their gear or anything like that. Because Cobra and Panther are game for everything that they're doing this w- with, with the two civilian kids that we have playing the games as well. Like they're doing skits with them. They're doing fake, fake fighting with them. They are game for a laugh on this. And I think despite the fact that the games playing that we get isn't very good, it might end up being my favourite Gladiator's appearance on Games Master. It's also a real return of goofy innocence for Dominic. There's something about the way that they're all interacting where this is very much a kind of a lighter, bubblier Dominic Diamond than we've seen in a while. I think it's because it is, despite some of the jokes being quite close to the knuckle and not necessarily from Dom, um, it is very innocent. Yeah. It's not not very cynical. It's not very kind of hard-edged. It is fun. And it, it's, it's celebrities playing against kids. It's very series two in that aspect. No, absolutely. It is. It's. I mean, I do like how, despite the fact they're going, oh, yeah, it's gladiators versus civilians, kids. The actual challenge is called gladiators hard. Don't make me laugh. And I get the feeling that name was come up with before they'd kind of got, you know, uh, Helen and Mick in. Because it feels like that title was written from a point of cynicism. And then they turn up and it's actually a big old fun time. Yeah. Or, you know, they, they tell them the gladiators, like, this is what we're going to do. And they're like, yeah, that's a bit of fun, really, isn't it? Because, like, Cobra is treating this like it's Saturday morning TV with his mugging to the camera and everything. You know, he can or almost Noel's house party. Yeah, exactly. He's, he can almost hear a chorus of children laughing as opposed to being on a closed set where he's making his jokes and probably the camera crew are just like pretending to laugh to make him feel good about it. Because his jokes are, I mean, I, I said Butlins earlier and I think that's apropos. It's a very Butlins performance. It's edgy Butlins though, because like Dom is asking him like, how much do you have to eat? to get a physique like Cobra's. And Cobra tells a terrible joke about chickens. And then we get some stats, which is like a 48-inch chest, 18-inch biceps, 26-inch thighs, and we should probably stop giving measurements there. And I'm just like, holy shit, <laughs> Cobra's out there with the dick jokes. And this is where Dom starts calling Panther by her shoot name of hell and asking where they get the name uh, Panther from. He's basically like, we just pick it out of her hat. And he's like, cool, I'm going to be bloke. I love that we've actually got this now because on Under Console Nation, there was a question of what would your gladiators gimmick be and uh you were youtube or youtube yes some yeah i think it was youtube or something with an t-o-o-b and i was like i was honey badger uh no remember i changed it to iceland oh no i I thought you started with iceland and then went to youtube Oh, maybe I couldn't remember which way I went around now. But yeah, Iceland, and I looked up again, I saw that Iceland bag that I named myself after when we did UCN. I'm sticking with Iceland for for now. Because all the mums go for you. Exactly. But I, I like this thing of just them going of like, yeah, basically there was, a, there was a hat full of names and they went, yeah, you look like Panther. And the thing is, you look at Helen, particularly at the time, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I would never have put her down as a jet. I'd and like never have put her down as like a, a zodiac or anything like that. And I'm just like, that's definitely a panther. Um, we've had Cobra on before, of course, as we mentioned. This is Panther's first time on the show. She was a champion bodybuilder, even though she hated sports at school. 
didn't start going to a gym until she was in her mid to late 20s and like pretty quickly became one of Britain's top female bodybuilders, reigning as Miss Central Britain, Miss Europe, Miss North Britain, Miss England, Miss World, Miss Great Britain, Miss Russia, and Miss Universe. I mean, that's covered all the bases there. I mean, Miss Universe just kind of covers every other part of the world and indeed solar system. Yeah, unfortunately, she only plays second in the multiverse. Very sadly, in 1994, she had like arguably probably one of the top two um, horrific accidents on gladiators, uh, which is when she fell off the table on tilt and she went headfirst face down into the crash mat and her legs doubled over her head. Uh, it was neck and back injuries. She was out for five months. She genuinely thought her career as a gladiator was over and she did return to gladiators but not at this point. She wouldn't return until the fifth series in 1996. So at this point, she was still on the bench. It's probably why she was uh, taking this gig here, because, you know, got a bit of time on her hands. Maybe she could get good at victory boxing. Find yourself a new career. Nowadays, or at least as last the Gladiators TV website was updated, Panther runs her own gym, appropriately called Panther's Gym, in Uxbridge. That's why I used to live by there. You could have had Panther as your personal trainer, Luke. If only I'd have bloody known. If it was Jess, I definitely would have known. Because Panther wasn't one of my faves. Um, and, you know, because it is Games Master, because twas the style at the time, it's time to make fun of Wolf. Yeah, like, when is Wolf going to retire? And they all have a big old laugh about how old he is. Then Cobra makes a joke that just lands on its ass about Max Wall, where Dominic does kind of break the flow and go, right, I should probably explain who Max Wall is to anyone that's under the age of 70. He was a guy that had actually only died a few years earlier, but he was an old music hall, film, television, theatre, comedian slash actor. But his style of comedy dated very badly. Briefly weird slash disturbing fact about Max Wall. He had four sons. They were called Michael, Melvin, Martin and Meredith. And he had a daughter called Maxine. I mean, there's a guy that's committed to a bit. It's like, well, my name's Max. So everyone else is going to have the same initial. It's probably a tax dodge. OK, well, uh, we have two gladiators of our own who are going to take on Cobra and Panther tonight. Please welcome Pushpa and Spiros. <laughs> Okay, now, Pushpa, I'll start with you. I know that we often get boys on the show and we ask them if they have a girlfriend. I know you don't have a boyfriend just now, and I know that Cobra is your favourite gladiator. Uh, so, uh, do you think there's any possibility of you two maybe getting together? Now you've seen him in the flesh, does he measure up? No, not really. Right, that's it. Oh, that's a bit of pre-match tension starting there already. Uh, Spiros, if you were on Gladiators then, what event do you think you would handle the best? Atmospheres. Oh, do you think I feel like that'd be the toughest one? Yeah. Do you think you get a bit dizzy and everything? And I don't like the big steam that comes up at the end. That's a nice bit. You put hairs on your chest as well. I can imagine. You're quite a very smooth chested man, aren't you? Yeah, need it for aerodynamics so it can go through the rings. We have Pushbar and Spiros as our civilian players for this week. And I really enjoyed the interaction that she has with Cobra because Dominic brings up, like, oh, you don't have a boyfriend. But then she's like, you know, does Cobra measure up to perhaps potentially be your new boyfriend? And she's like, nah. And like Cobra's reaction, he is not having any of it. He's flexing and he's just like, what the hell? 
I'm prime beef. Uh, and like you and I on UCN the other week, Spiros reckons he'd be the best at atmospheres because I think we'd also be pretty good at that. Or we like to think we would, but I wanted to point out Spiros has a badass t-shirt on. Did you see that? It's a 2000 AD Mean Machine slash Judge Dread movie t-shirt. Very, very nice. Quite, quite forward move from Panther here as she asks if she has strong legs and squeezes the lad's upper thigh. And at that <laughs> point, know. Spiros became a man, whether he wanted to or not. <laughs> He speared out of his trousers. <laughs> Nintendo's Ultra 64 is finally being unveiled tomorrow in Japan along with 10 games. And if the rumours are true, the machine's more fun than my mum. Details of the launch are more secret than my pants, but we know that Rare, makers of Donkey Kong Country and Killer Instinct, have five games up the spout, including one based on the Eminem Bond movie, GoldenEye. Other games will include a version of that Magic Edge flight simulator seen on Games Master a couple of weeks ago, and because it's Jimmy Nintendo, there'll be a brand new Mario game just for a laugh. The graphical power is said to make the PlayStation and Saturn look tame. Keep watching Games Master to find out, because we're the tops. Ash, we have talked a lot about how we are entering the new era of gaming, because the Saturn is here, the PlayStation is here but we're now almost in probably the next step of that because the ultra 64 is just around the corner sort of it is it is you know it's going to be unveiled there's going to be 10 games revealed for at least that's what dom claims here it's not technically true there are two playable games at this launch and there were a few trailers as well but yeah it was there was only two actual playable games which was mario 64 and kirby ball 64 he mentions a number of the launch titles or oh, sorry launch titles because Killer Instinct not a launch title technically never actually appeared in that form Cruising USA not a launch title Magic Edge never actually happened and and VX Vampire kind of Ultracopter 64 that was planned to be ported to the Nintendo 64 by Paradigm Software it it just never appeared it just didn't exist they did go on to work on Pilot Wing 64 though so it, like a lot of Nintendo 64 news that we've had on Games Master and sort of the teaser and stuff in the magazine, it never quite goes the way that it was always being reported at the time. A lot changed within Nintendo and a lot changed for the N64 launch. Um, you know, it, we're still... I mean, I said earlier that it's it's just around the corner, but we're still a little ways off from it actually hitting these shores. I mean, it's also the Ultra 64 still. We're not quite at the point of Nintendo 64. And I mean, you mentioned the two playable demos. Mario was about 50% complete at this point. Kirby Bowl disappeared into development hell. Never came out as far as I know. No, no, I don't think it ever did. But, you know... The playable demos were all that was needed to convince attendees that Nintendo still had the magic. And I'll be honest, even 50% Mario 64, it's... I mean, I love Mario 64 still. It's a great, great game. That is a game that when that came out, the magazines went nuts for it because it felt... It, it was the first time that we really did find a 3D game that we moved into that just worked. Like, really, really good. We had some 3D games before then, some 3D platformers and things like that, but it was always like, it sort of works, like, we're, we're just trying to find our feet here. Mario 64 nailed it. To the point it's so good that you often think, like, how no one else could have done it as well as that, even after Mario 64 came out. Yeah, and it's so odd, because when you look at it compared to some of its kind of, I guess, close closest to peers on other platforms so crash bandicoot is one that comes to mind it's kind of a 3d platformer yeah. it's not open it's not open roam as, as mario is i'd argue that some of those actually look better than mario 64 because of just use of texturing whereas mario 64 has a lot of flat shading and a lot of repeated textures but gameplay wise 
It's still so good. It feels massive, that game. Like when yeah. you walk into Peach's Castle, it feels so huge. Even to this day, I think it, it, it has got quite a lot of grandeur to it. Yeah, I, it's a game I would love to see a full-blown remake of. Like, like, I don't, not, like the 3DS one. Yeah, like, like the 3DS one, but then like upped a bit. Like Star Fox 64. You know, just kind of like g- give it the spit and polish and then put it on the Switch. Well, do you know what? I really, I just hope that we get a really good challenge out of Mario 64 in the next series. Oh, mate. I mean, that would be amazing because, of course, you know, everyone would have played it on import. They'd have loads of practice at it, mate. If we do get a challenge in Series 6, everyone will have had a go on it by that point. They'd have probably finished it. I can't imagine a gaming journalist worth their salt that won't have. Or a marketing manager. Just going on test in London is Namco's latest arcade game, Time Crisis. It's the first arcade game to have a forklift truck that falls over. It also bears more than a whiff of Virtua Cop, but as well as a gun, players have a foot pedal, which allows them to quite literally duck, essential for taking evasive action when pants get soiled. Time Crisis will kick in arcade doors from January, with a PlayStation version to follow. I actually feel that Dominic's being a bit dismissive of Time Crisis here. He is looking at it as a Virtua Cop knockoff. In some ways, yes. I can absolutely see why that would be the case, and I doubt that, you know, Namco were unaware of Virtua Cop. But the big kind of like revelation that Time Crisis brought was that foot pedal. Before then, then, to reload, you kind of like pointed away from the screen for the most part. You kind of fired off and the game didn't register the hit and therefore it reloaded. This foot pedal not only gives you a reload mechanic, but it also gives you a, a kind of a cover option for the first time ever. So it's more than just a shooter on rails. You actually control the speed you control the narrative of the story a little you control when you move on and the enemies continue to move in their patterns but also it adds to a sense of urgency because the more time you spend in cover the closer the enemies are going to get and the more fire you're going to come under and of course because it's namco a version was due out for the playstation came out in 1997 bundled with the gun con like controller oh i do like a good light gun yeah dominic Donald refers to that playstation version here he talked about how like the, the arcade will be out in january with the playstation version to follow and it would take a full year for it but when it comes out a friend of mine did have time crisis with the the gun and everything and it was super cool when i went to game station we had a, a like a mint version of it like an inbox mint copy of it uh, it was, I never picked it up, actually. I, I always had it sort of like on reserve. I'll pick it up at some point, and I never did. I sort of kicked myself a little bit forward. Not that it's easy to do light gun games on TVs nowadays. You kind of need an old CRT to, to really make it worth a while. But I was a huge, huge fan of Time Crisis. I spent so much money on Time Crisis games in the arcades back in the day. I still love Virtual Cop. I still really love Time Crisis. But you know what my favorite light gun shooter was on the PlayStation? Which one? Uh, point Blank? No, second part of Die Hard Trilogy. Oh, yeah. That was actually my, our favorite one to play as well. I liked Die Hard 3, uh, but Die Hard 2 was the one we played the most of. I did not play the first Die Hard on Die Hard Trilogy at all. It was, it was pretty nails. It, it just wasn't fun. Die Hard 2 and 3, was they were they were good times. Exactly. I mean, it was nails because it wasn't very good. Yeah, I think a lot of the love went into 2 and 3. Over in America, top movie Nice Guy bloke Steven Spielberg has launched a new computer network that allows terminally ill kids in a number of US hospitals to meet and play games together. The Starbright network lets players who would be thousands of miles apart interact in one virtual playground. They can talk to each other, have a laugh and take part in games like running races. Demonstrated here by fat Gulf War bloke General Schwarzkopf. Come on, Danny, go, go! 
It's the kind of thing that brings a warm glow to even a sarcastic, downbeat, cynical heart like mine. Nice to see Steven Spielberg find his way into the news section here, talking about his new Starbright Network, which is a, a pretty cool little online service here to kind of connect sick kids from around the world. And he's supplying a lot of his, you know, creation things like E.T. as part of the game. It's it's a it's a nice little piece here. Even cynical Dominic Diamond is warmed by this story. Yeah, my exact note was Dom is overall positive about this, which I'm really glad about because really I'd hate for him to punch down on terminally ill kids. I think even like peak snarky Dom would just be like, "Oh, that's probably a bit much." He's got a line. I mean, Starbright. It was an online community as detailed here uh, for children with chronic illnesses. Started in 1995. It was developed by a company called World Inc. for the Starbright Foundation, which Spielberg has ties to, and it was a 3D world credited as one of the first applications of kind of a virtual reality environment in medicine. It only ran for two years because basically it was bleeding edge, but dear lord, there were a lot of technical issues, mainly to do with, I think, data transfer and also maintenance of the hardware that was running it. 1998 kind of brought a much pared down early social network kind of environment that still provided some of the same functionality, but a lot less impressive. And I guess the footnote of that is that WorldSync, who developed the platform, would much later launch lawsuits against a number of uh, massively multiplayer online games, claiming they held the rights to the concept of multiplayer virtual worlds based on patents that they obtained in relation to Starbright World. And as far as I know, amongst the companies they tried to sue were Activision Blizzard. And that one was as recently as 2021. Wow. And a US district court told them to get bent. This is another thing that I think we've seen a lot of on Games Master is it's a great idea that's just a little bit too early. It's too ahead of its time. Yeah, even the journalists that were kind of like praising it for the work it was doing and for allowing terminally ill kids to connect to other children that might be in the same situation they're in. So kind of like peers rather than just normal kids or adults or parents they were just like it's a great idea but the new york times were like it's slow it's it's clumsy there's a lot of technical issues about a quarter of the time and you know performance increased but not enough to make it viable so good idea just too soon right we're about ready to start today's event gladiators hard don't make me laugh We've got two teams. We've got the Gladiator team of Cobra and Panther against our Punter's team of Pushpa and Spiros. The first round is going to be the two ladies playing victory boxing on the Saturn. Pushpa against Panther. Help me co-commentate. Bagged by popular demand, housewife's choice, Kirk Ewing. Kirk, welcome. Hi, Dominic. You're looking fantastic today. Thank you very much, Kirk. Uh, would you like to give our ladies some tips then on this fine game? Well, I think the best thing the, the girls can do is use their speed to move around the opponent, picking them off with jabs, trying to leave them open for a big hook. That's classic Bruno technique there. We've got Kirk Ewing in the booth for Victory Boxing, which is the first challenge. You may have forgotten because it was quite a while ago that we mentioned that we were playing Victory Boxing. Uh, but Kirk Ewing is here to talk about using your speed. Now, this Victory Boxing challenge is interesting for me because when it was reviewed a couple of weeks back, Dave Perry and Rick Henderson were really talking about how the fact that this isn't like other boxing games where you just mash buttons. There's some skill to this. There are special moves and this and other. It feels more like a fighting game. And even though they weren't really sure either way which one of them, you know, like one of them liked it, one of them didn't, they did sort of at least agree on that point. However, when Pushpa and Panther play this game, they just mash buttons. It feels like every boxing challenge we've had on Games Master. Yeah, it, it's drunken slap fighting, essentially. 
that that's where it is. Although I do want to give a shout out for Kirk Ewing being introduced as the housewife's choice. That, like that Iceland. Me, yeah, like Iceland. You and Kirk Ewing separated at birth. I always knew it. I knew we'd be friends. But yeah, Panther just absolutely asses this one. I mean, she is knocked down within the first few seconds and she's down for a nine count. I was going to say, only just gets back up and then it's just more mashing buttons. Like, this is a terrible advert for victory boxing because it does. It, this is no different to them playing Panzer kickboxing on the Amiga back in series one. No, it, and basically she loses by a technical knockout, if not like, you know, just, uh, just giving up at this point. And so Pushpa wins. One round to the punters. Knocked down three times within a minute, no, within a minute and a half. Not a particularly fine gladiatorial performance. Not really, but I think she was cheating. I think she was very, very lucky, and I'd love to see her play Powerball, and I'll take her on with real boxing gloves next time. Uh, I, th- I think I'm part of there is trying to cause a little bit of uh, extra aggro there. Uh, I didn't mean to ask you actually there, Mick. You see that outfit there? Yes. Do, do you get joggers nipple at all from uh, Now and again I do, <laughs> yes. It does but, uh, a little Some bit. cream on there and it's okay. And it comes Salt up a treat. And it's fine. Uh, Pushpa, you've been accused of cheating there. It's not cheating at all. I was just too good for her. You reckon? Yeah. What, what were your best tactics then? Why did you win? How did you win that then? I just kept my punches going in. It was all like, well, of course, we've got one more leg of the event to come. Uh, we have got Cobra against Spiros. Uh, Mick, how did you see that one going? Um, very well. I used to be a boxer. I had 20 fights and uh, 20 knockouts. Uh-huh. You're then I won one. But you're wrestling, though, <laughs> you're wrestling. Wrestling. Yeah, but I'm used to the contact sport. Post-match, Panther takes the mature approach of going, one, she was cheating. Two, let's get her on Powerball. I'll fuck her up. I love that response. I'm just like, well, if you come to my arena and play one of my games, then I will win. I thought that was really, really great. Am I saying I'll slap a child around? Yes, yes, I am. Panto season. (laughs) Dom, of course, is more interested in talking about Jogger's nipple. I'm I'm bored of talking about video games now. Nipples. Nipples, yes, particularly Cobra's nipples because he's wearing a leotard. Now, Cobra here has a bit of an error because he's got a joke loaded in the barrel that he wants to get out and he says that you know when we come back i'm also going to be i'm going to be better at the boxing game and he's trying to do this punchline but panther is leaning over saying no you're playing the wrestling game and completely barrels over his punchline it just becomes this whole mess of a situation yeah because he says he's had 20 boxing matches and 20 knockouts then he won one Oi, that's end of the peer material. I think I think Panther was right to try and interrupt that one. But yeah, I I'm enjoying this so much. They are just so goofy and and silly. And that's just it. Absolutely joyous. And even Pushpa is kind of like getting in on it. The four of them are working so well together. I said earlier, it's not just the gladiators; it's the kids as well. They're really good at this, and it it makes up for the poor games playing stuff. Chances of these two kids being from the talent school? Must be, right? Absolutely have to be at this point. Not a criticism either. I'm no. really, really glad because they do a great fucking job here. First up, Dave and Rick jump inside a little spaceship and fly around making boot shooting noises with Viewpoint on the PlayStation, a conversion of the Neo Geo Classic. Well, now it's arrived on the PlayStation and it's been tweaked. It's been tweaked up. The graphics are even better. The sound effects are superb. Bobbins, okay, so it is a spruced up Neo Geo game. 
but uh, the Neo Geo game had no depth in the first place. Viewpoint is a stunning game, and I guess we're both just going to have to agree that we have a different point of view. I mean, this review section might go down as one of my favourite review sections of all time, just because Rick says bobbins as part of one of his reviews, and I'm just like, that's a real good under-consultation word, and I'm glad to see it actually being used in Games Master as well all those years ago. One of my first notes on the Viewpoint review is, in all caps, Rick says bobbins. I've got it all caps in mine as well. He said bobbins on the show! Dave comes back on and says, look, it's a stunning game, and they'll just both have to agree that they have a differing point of view, which is a shame because there is the perfect opportunity for him to go, we both have a differing viewpoint. Well, I think he was doing it. I actually thought it was quite a fun little line there, a different point of view. I thought it was all right. I don't know, I just thought that made me think of Anne Robinson rather than Viewpoint, which is the name of the game. Despite that, I'm going to agree with Dave here. It's it's a tough old game. It did get some mixed reviews, but it is still a good game. And we had that thing earlier of like a game doesn't need to be 3D to be good, which is something they seem to have forgotten in this review section. Oh, yeah. D- Dave is flying the flag for that. Yeah. But Viewpoint was Sammy's only game that they developed for the Neo Geo kind of like arcade and home system. There were a number of ports. Obviously, we got the PlayStation later port here, but it also appeared on the Sharp X68000, the FM Towns, the Sega Mega Drive. There was a port due for the Sega Saturn, Luke. It was cancelled. Poor old Sega Saturn. Even the fucking Mega Drive got it. We found our new Jaguar. Anyway... Uh, at one point, an 8-bit version for the Game Boy Color was planned. That was also cancelled. And uh, yeah, it, the Neo Geo version was probably the most well-received. And later versions kind of suffered from Law of Diminishing Returns. But I, it's still a good game. I mean, here, 89%. Considering like what Rick was saying there, you know, Bobbins, it's got no depth, it's this, that, and the other. It's Dave that's flying the flag for this one. And 89% is still a really good score. Yeah, nothing to sniff at at all. Certainly does slightly better than the next game, which is on the Saturn. Oof. Now, most next-generation beat-em-ups have 3D rotating polygon texture map bitmaps with Gurad shading. Golden Axe the Jewel, uh, doesn't. It's a Golden Axe beat-em-up. And what you do is, you to play as the characters from the original Golden Axe. People like Gilius the Dwarf and Axe Battler, but in a duel. They fight each other. You kick the little dwarfs and elves that run along to pick up potions to give you your special moves and to pick up chickens to give you more energy back. I'm sorry, but as beat-em-ups go, this is far too rooted in the Street Fighter 2s of yesterday should have been more like Tekken or possibly even Virtua Fighter 2. It doesn't have the appeal that they have, the 3D aspect is still 2D, but the beat-em-up elements are just extraordinarily average. Yes, I'm afraid I enjoyed this game, but I do have to agree with Rick. Compared to some of the more state-of-the-art beat-em-ups, this one is slightly dated, but it is very stunning. It is very professional, and it also should appeal to older players like myself, who, from the hardcore days of the Mega Drive, might play with a slight tear in their eyes. This review is fascinating. With the benefit of hindsight and looking at it as a snapshot in time, I love this review. I think it is absolutely wonderful. Because this is Rick Henderson saying that fighting games have moved on. We're in a 3D world now. We've got Tekken. We've got Virtua Fighter. We've got Toshinden. We have got Soul Edge, you know, previewed a couple of weeks ago. This, and he's talking about, you know, a 2D fighting game here. This is Golden Axe the Duel on the Sega Saturn, which is, you know, the Golden Axe world, but it's done as a, a one-on-one fighter. And he 
Rick is talking about this as if it is a relic of the past. A 2D fighting game in 1995. Surely we've all moved on by this point. But it's Dave Perry. He's an old school gamer. That's his words. Being like, these still these games are still good. We do have 3D games, but these games are still good and are still worth your time. I mean, we had a good 2D platformer review and then paired with its Jaguar review in the magazine for Rayman, which is super 2D. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but it's, yeah, I suppose, oh, it looks a bit 3D, doesn't it? It's like a a 2.5D type thing, but it is a 2D platformer. I suppose so. I mean, this game, unlike Viewpoint, is not an old game ported up. This was only released in arcade in 1995. So this port for the Saturn, it's pretty soon. Like, it's not been stuck around for a couple of years. I was into Golden Axe the Jewel as well, for the record. I I really got on with it because I loved Golden Axe so much. Golden Axe was one of the games I played the most on the Mega Drive when I first got it because a friend of mine had... Um, the Mega Game series that's got Golden Axe and Streets of Rage in it. And we used to just flick between playing Golden Axe and Streets of Rage all the time. I mean, I love how this game looks. And I like the potion dropping mechanic that's in it because the imps from the original Golden Axe are back and they'll run backwards and forwards across the screen. And if you hit them, they drop potions, which give different power-ups, different other bits like that. And I still think, yeah, I still think it looks good. Obviously, people are going to compare it to Virtua Fighter 2, which is an unfair comparison because that's 2D versus 3D. But on the other hand, on the 2D side of things, we've got Children of the Atom, the X-Men game, which is also due out imminently, if not out already. And that, I mean, if you're going to ask me to pick between Golden Axe, the Jewel and X-Men Children of the Atom, it's going to be X-Men. Capcom, isn't it? Like Capcom are the king of fighting games. I think this game, more than Street Fighter, owes quite a bit to Samurai Showdown. And I'm going to say that because of the kind of the the weapon-based mechanic. It, It feels more in line with that type of game. But I've never played this game. Hmm. But I've got a Saturn right there. I'm, I'm going to give it a go. I'm probably going to be more on the Dave Perry side of things here, which is, it's odd. Both reviews, I'm siding with Dave over Rick. I feel dirty, Luke. I mean, it's not it's not brilliant or anything. I don't think I would go down and say it's a, as an underrated classic. But even in this review where Rick is talking about how like it's had its day, this is Street Fighter, blah, 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 blah. 80% is way better of a score than I was expecting the duel to get. I mean, still definitely within our predefined parameters of give it a go. Finally, proof that the Mohican is still alive, well, and living in secret as a tragic hair accessory in Alien Odyssey on PC CD-ROM. Alien Odyssey is a weird old bag of nuts. Well, it's crossed kind of with Alone in the Dark and Rebel Assault. The shoot-em-up sections are very, very basic, but all you're doing is controlling a crosshair and trying to shoot the enemies as they lie in front of you. The actual Alone in the Dark bit, though, doesn't stand up to the Alone in the Dark games or even Ecstatica or Bioforge. It looks great, yes, but the camera angles really do ruin it for me. The puzzles are just too difficult to perform. It scores better than Alien Odyssey does with this game. Rick calls it a weird old bag of nuts. And I like the, the comparison of it being Alone in the Dark and Rebel Assault, but says that it doesn't do either version of it all that great. It is the standard thing you get where you get multi-genre games. And we've actually just discussed it with Die Hard Trilogy, technically, which is rather than focus on doing one bit really, really well, you're trying to do multiple bits and therefore one or all of them will fall short. In the case of Die Hard Trilogy, arguably Die Hard falls short. In the case of this, they've just kind of half-assed it. Like like maybe not even half-assed, maybe third-cheeked it for the kind of alone in the dark running around sections for the kind of on rails rebel assault time shooter sections 
Um, and basically, neither is as good as the titles that they're ripping off. And the camera angles are wonky. That's a problem that would uh, affect 3D exploring games for a while. I'm looking at you, the first Resident Evil. I was going to say the Resident Evil games are the ones I hold up as like the good version of that because it's fixed camera points. You can't like it. Often actually is a much it benefits you much easier than some of the other ones that attempted it. Uh, yes and no. There's still some moments in that first Resident Evil. I'm talking about the original version here, where the camera angle flips on a dime. And it takes you from kind of like, I mean, there is some ways, yes, it's good from a tension point of view, but you kind of end up going backwards and forwards between the camera angles. Meanwhile, a zombie is still shuffling to advance on you. And there's a point where it stops being tension and just starts being annoying. Yeah, it's, you've got to get used to those tank controls. Uh, and yeah, and the tank controls are what sort of holds it back, particularly if you, it's amazing going back to play those games because they feel so clunky. And at the time I was like, this is so fluid. Yeah. Still though, you know, maybe this review was all worthwhile for that score of 69%. Nice. Nice. Welcome to the cinema of science fiction. A dimension of giant robots, awesome spaceships, mad scientists, and strange aliens. You've always dreamed of being the master of this movie universe. Now your dreams become reality. Sci-fi movie machine is a CD-ROM for all those ladies and gentle blokes not content with uncreative jobs who rig in their filmmakers. The package features classic B-movie clips which you can edit together into your very own self-indulgent special effects spectacular. It features dodgy-looking robots, dodgy-looking explosions, and the aliens who are less frightening than my grand collecting for a fluffy puppy's holiday. As usual, the viewing screen is pretty small, but you do get a sense of achievement if you're funny that way. Sci-Fi Movie Machine is released next year, unless someone's telling me lies. Oh, Luke, it's CD-ROM of the week, and I'm genuinely excited by this one. This is so cool. This is it. We have talked a lot on this podcast about the sort of CD-ROMs that I would have been into when I was a kid. I was the guy that had Steven Spielberg's director's chair, and I fucking loved it. And I would have absolutely adored this game. Cutting up B-movies and making your own one yes please mate this looks rad and just in case you i'm assuming you might have guessed this this is a charles band joint because almost all of the films that we see here have charles band or full moon or one of his associated we can call them production companies we can call them shell companies we can call them tax dodges we've got footage from movies that will be lining the bottom shelves of video rental stores up and down the country until VHS becomes a thing of the past. There are some movies shown here that are actually going to be featured in the new series of MST3K that is currently in production and being finished up. I was so, so here for this. There is sadly not a huge amount of information available on it, but I did find a message from Charles Band, not addressed to me, but just like that he released at the time this was coming out. Hello, and thanks for purchasing Sci-Fi Movie Machine CD-ROM. The idea for Sci-Fi Movie Machine came from my involvement in feature filmmaking. For the past 20 years, I've written, directed, and produced some of Hollywood's best-known horror and fantasy motion pictures, such as Ghoulies, Reanimator, Trancers, and the classic Puppet Master series. With the growing digitization, those are his Bucky O'Hare's, not mine, of the entertainment industry, I wanted to find a way to bring the excitement, creativity and fun of filmmaking to everyone at home with a computer. 
Many of you have told me that you'd love to be involved with our films and with our Cinemaker sci-fi movie machine. You can! We've created a game that allows you to be the director by selecting sequences from hundreds of film clips and then assembling them in an infinite variety of ways to suit your own whims and talents. We think you'll really enjoy our CD-ROM game. Also, look for Bimbo Movie Bash, Terrorvision, and many other titles coming to you soon. Happy directing. Best regards, Charles Band. Look at Charles Band there, seeing a new avenue to make money, where it's like, this isn't the first... This isn't the only CD-ROM we're going to be doing. We've got a whole slew of these coming down the way. I mean, you mentioned the Bucky O'Hare ears there when you were talking about digitization. There's a few other Bucky O'Hare ears that could be used throughout that. Things like classics uh, and the like. I, I'm, I, I'm, I do. It's not even a guilty pleasure. I like a lot of the Full Moon movies. I genuinely think the first like three or four Puppet Master movies are really, really good. Um, shock thing for for wrestling related, and something I only found out recently via Dan Housen's vlogs is um, female wrestler The Bunny. Yeah, massive. Is a fan. massive Puppet Puppet Master M- fan. Huge Puppet Master fan. I don't just like. I liked you before. I like you even more now. That's a way. That's a way to win me over. Is to be a Puppet Master fan. Um. Some of you may be familiar with Full Moon, with Puppet Master, with Charles Band. If you are vaguely interested in the subject matter, I can recommend it came from the video aisle inside Charles Band's Full Moon Productions. It's available as a book. It's also available as an audible book, which is how I consumed it. And it covers the good and the bad. And it's it's fun time, but also you listen to it and you're just like, how did this man not get shot by a disgruntled employee at some point or put in jail? I was actually just checking there. I went to the uh, the Wikipedia page for Full Moon and we are actually almost nearing the end of the Full Moon Entertainment series, which would come to an end in 1996. Like 1995 here, we've got Castle Freak, then Demon and Bottle and Oblivion 2 Backlash before it becomes Full Moon Pictures. And they start doing things like the creeps and curse of puppet master and subspecies and all that sort of stuff. Well, I think, hang on. So Full Moon Productions is running until 1995. Then I think it's Full Moon Studios. And that goes until the early 2000s. Then it goes with another name that doesn't have Full Moon in it. But it's still essentially... Full Moon. Full Moon. But then I know from 2004 onwards... Suddenly, Full Moon Pictures was back again. And that's still going up until the present day. There are so many films in the Full Moon kind of like roster. They have their own streaming platform, and it's actually pretty good money. The co-host of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, Darcy the Mail Girl, otherwise known as Diana Prince, actually presents some original programming on that, that Full Moon streaming service. Darcy the Mail Girl, who I got a much-delayed Valentine card from today like sent out 7th of February from uh, America and it just arrived today and it is covered in fake blood. Ah, <laughs> As is the style at the time. Because I'm, I'm a trauma kid more than I am Full Moon and, and Charles Band and stuff. But like, I fully appreciate and I love the, what the, the series and, you know, and the, the, everything has become because they're not making great movies, but you know, things like Evil Bong and Ginger Dead Man and all that. But what I absolutely love about them is they do so many crossovers of all of these movies. So if you're a fan and you like Evil Bong, you can then watch Evil Bong versus the, the, versus the Ginger Dead Man. You can have the Demonic Toys versus the Puppet Master. There's all of these like various different things. They're just having fun making movies. And I have... Well, 
full support for anyone who has fun making movies, whether they are good or not, because they have an audience. As I said, I'm a Troma fan, and Troma has put out a buttload of butt over the years, and I will watch all of them. And I will say that amongst the trash that is in Full Moon's kind of, and I'm a cinematic trash panda, so I love this stuff anyway. Those first two, three, maybe even four Puppet Master films, pretty damn good. Some of the Trancers movies, pretty damn good. Pit and the Pendulum, pretty damn good, maybe. Um, Dr. Mordred, a fascinating one, because originally it was meant to be an adaptation of Doctor Strange. They lost the rights, and so they just went, well, we'll just swap. <laughs> Mordred, Strange, it's similar enough. It's proper Doctor Strange, though. Like, if you look at the poster for that, it's like, oh, yeah, look, that's just Doctor Strange. But yeah, it's, so it's, when this popped up for CD-ROM of the week, I was over absolutely overjoyed and i've just seen in my notes giddy, what... giddy is the word i would use when i saw oh, it yeah I, I, one of the movies featured is another mst3k alumni uh when he's talking about the aliens and it's kind of these weird turtle-headed aliens uh that's the movie laser blast which is widely regarded as one of the best mystery science theater 3000 episodes ever primarily because the movie is that goddamn bad okay we're halfway through the second leg as you can see of our gladiator event today while we uh, see what the outcome of this one is, we're going to take a short break. Coming up in part two, it's going to be Cobra against Spiros on WWF WrestleMania. Back in a minute. Curry's White Christmas Sale is now on with top brands and massive savings. This candy built-in cooking package, only $349.99. This Anusi AquaSave dishwasher, just $399.99. This Bilco Auto Washer, only $299.99. All with interest-free credit. The Curry's White Christmas Sale. Don't miss it. Guess who's made a video? Me, Lily Savage. Uh, uh, yes, I've been captured on cellulite. <laughs> if you've got a nylon nicey on, you've had it because it goes... <laughs> Live and outrageous from the Garrick Theatre, Lily Savage. Oh, we're having a ball. So buy it, please. So Mimi's sister can go on holiday till her rectumar. Thank you very much. My kind's a mountain. Certificate 18. No HMV, no video. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
leaves, a walk in the clouds. Mrs. Alcott thought she'd never do such a thing, but she did. I did. So she thought Mr. Alcott ought to do it too. Oh. Bird's eye pan flare is a brilliant new way to cook. Tender chicken breast, vegetables, and a mild curry sauce, all freshly frozen by bird's eye. Just add milk and stir. I did it. Do it with pan flare from bird's eye. At DFS and Northern Upholstery, we've urgent news about our free-for-a-year offer. This weekend, it's your last chance to take four years free credit and pay nothing for one whole year. No deposit, no interest, no payment. Nothing to pay till November 1996. And have this beautiful suite in your home in time for Christmas. It's free for a year. But you must order now. This combination ends Sunday, 5 p.m. An offer from DFS and Northern Upholstery years ahead of its time. game of twisters got a little bit out of hand while I try and revive our competitors in time for the second leg of our gladiators event we'll take a look at today's feature Ash have you ever had a game of twister that is so fierce and so competitive that you need to have a feature of Dominic Diamond going to Los Angeles to recover not this week no okay well I mean we have one here at the very least once more I've been forced to come out to LA to try and be funny in the face of America Wing Commander 3 sold half a million units worldwide. They're making the sequel, Wing Commander 4, just now, and it costs $8 million. We're going to have a look. Issuing work in restaurants, the stars of Wing Commander 3 have all returned. With Mark Hamill, Tom Wilson, and mad bloke Malcolm McDowell all donning fantastically ludicrous costumes for the sequel. On the day I very nearly fell out of a car, Mark and Tom were quite literally shooting a scene set in an outer space bar. This is one of the actual sets of Wing Commander 4. Now they're rehearsing just now. We've been told we're not allowed on the set, but do I look like I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, I care? Well, come on. Okay, this is quite cool, this. This is actually Mark Hamill's personal cacti collection. Every film or any game he works on, he demands that this be built into one of the sets. You might remember in Star Wars, he had a couple of ones in the back of the X-Wing, and in fact, if you lifted up R2-D2's helmet, there was a very small cactus in there. And that's the deal. Uh, no cactus, no show for Mark. Behind me, these are all the extras that are supposed to be hanging out in the bar. And the funny thing is, is that they've kind of dressed them up to look a little bit weird. But if you go to London any day of the week, this is what normal people look like. So, uh, but the problem is, is like, it's, it's Americans. Do you know what I mean? This digital readout, you can see these numbers. This is actually the amount of money I'm earning as we're making this feature. I like to have this brought with me whenever we film any Games Master stuff, just so I can tell at any given time how rich I'm getting. Hey, Luke, do you remember all those times that Dominic Diamonds punches down at Mark Hamill? Oh, I know. There's a period during this feature where I was like, he's actually going to interview Mark Hamill here. Like, Mark Hamill strikes me as the sort of guy who would go, no, I know what that dickhead said about me. Mark Hamill has no idea who Dominic Diamond is. To be honest, fair enough. Yeah. Mark Hamill does have a career, despite what Dominic said at various points in time. I mean, you know, the Joker doesn't voice himself. Well, that's exactly it. We said that at the time when, when Dominic Diamond was proper making fun of Mark Hamill when they had the feature on Wing Commander 3 last series, and he was there being like tragically unpopular actor Mark Hamill. I was like, dude, he is the voice of the Joker on the hugely popular BTAS. Like, it is unfair to be uh, making fun of Mark Hamill just because he's not doing Star Wars anymore. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the thing is, is even... I mean, we've just featured a CD-ROM of the week where it features a lot of really low-budget movies. The budget for Wing Commander 4 is, at estimation, 8 million. It actually goes way over that by the time all is said and done. Like, say we call it $10 million. 
That's 10 full moon features. Mm-hmm. At one million dollars a pop, and that's at nineties rates. And they probably would they probably would have spread that over twenty pictures. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say if that was now, Charles Band would probably like put out thirty movies for that amount. Most of them recycling the same sets. Exactly. He probably was like, "That's the first six months. That's our next six months worth of creation, right there." Yeah, but this is a big game because Wing Commander Three was popular it was technically impressive it had the great cast it had a great story and then wing commander 4 they went up a level because they're like well we did a lot of green screen on the last one but we've got some mad money to throw at this let's start building some sets and that's what we get here the majority of the budget went into the full motion video Uh, they weren't just shot on sets they were actually shot on 35 mil film So this was a proper cinematic production. And it means that whilst there is a fan project going on at the moment to kind of remaster Wing Commander 4, and uh, they've done some AI upscaling on the footage, uh, they've used the DVD version uh, as the source for that, which is the version I had, actually. I got it bundled with one of the parts I used to build my first PC, I think with the DVD drive. Um, They've also kind of redone the game engine as well. But it does mean that whilst they are just doing AI upscaling, someone if they cared and if they still had the elements, could actually scan the negatives. You could have 4K Wing Commander 4, and I'd love it. I don't think they're going to spend money on it, but I'd love it. The the Wing Commander community is uh, a thriving place still to this day. When I say to this day, uh, I haven't checked in in a little while. When I did the uh, the Wing Commander chapter for the book, which um, was way more interesting than I actually anticipated it being because it was, you know, it was directed by... Chris Roberts, who was the creator of the games, which I think is a very fascinating direction anyway. Um, I was being sent a lot of stuff by um, the people who were running the Wing Commander fan site about like scripts that weren't used and this and the other. They're a really nice bunch of people. And it's Wing Commander 4 is a game I don't think I've actually played. I've definitely played Wing Commander 3, but I don't recall playing 4. Um but like at the time, you know, as a huge Star Wars nerd that I was, particularly in 1995, I would have been very much gravitating towards it, especially watching this episode, because it's Mark Hamill. And I really like Mark Hamill. He's Luke Skywalker. He's one of my heroes. He's Luke Skywalker. He's the Joker. He's the Giver. if you watch the... Well, he's in, well, he's in the Giver. He's yeah. not the Giver, but he's, he's in Mutronics, basically. And he's a genuinely nice... He's Cockknocker. but he's also a genuinely nice guy and i played wing commander 3 i played wing commander 4 um multiple times i think on multiple different platforms uh i'd have probably played it there was also meant to be a 3do version that was cancelled there was meant to be a version for the panasonic m2 as well guess what yeah that was cancelled as well but just watching this featurette just made me want to go and play it again. Yeah, that's exa- I was thinking the same thing here as well, because, you know, we're on really cool sets here. Dom is very, very dismissive, I feel like. I think he's here to kind of make fun of it because it is a game that's filmed on... So basically, this, this feature feels like it's an excuse for Dom to go around and just try out some improv that he's working on. Um, like, he, there's a moment when he just sort of... He's going to go do some interviews and he walks up to the uh, a prop and he's just like, well, this right here, this is actually uh, a rider for Mark Hamill. He has to have these props in every one of his movies. And he has one later on about how like how much money he's making for doing this feature. Um, 
I, I think some of it works, but the bits I'm actually more interested in is when he sat down with Tom Wilson and Mark Hamill later on. Although I did like his thing of just going, the extras have been dressed up to look unusual. But as Don points out, this is London any day of the week. And I'm looking at it and going, yep, checks out. Yeah, sounds about right. Soho or Camden, any damn day, any time of day or night. Time for me to get cosy with Back to the Future veteran Tom Wilson. I'm here with uh, Tom Wilson, who's reprising his role as Maniac in Wing Commander 4. Tom, what does Maniac get up to in this one? Maniac gets up to a lot of no good, mm-hmm. as well he should Quite right. uh, in this one. Actually, it, it, was, it was nice because uh, Maniac was such a popular... Ca- you're scaring me. <laughs> Maniac, was <laughs> Maniac was such a popular character in Wing Commander 3. They brought Maniac like back and, and, and enhanced the role quite a bit for me nicely. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and they're paying me more, which is good. So, you know, it's a winner all any, the way uh, through. Any top fighting or top kissing action for you in the film? I never kiss anybody. <laughs> I've been slapped yeah. in the head in so many roles. And I get slapped in the head several times in uh, Wing Commander 4. You're probably best known for Back to the Future, 1, 2, and 3. What was it like working with wee Michael? He's a very, uh, very regular guy, a guy from Canada. And, um, yeah, super. We had a ball. Do you think it's a problem? We fought, fist fought a lot, yeah. but that's just to remain <laughs> hard as nails. We fought, you know, uh, each other. And uh, if there was a Wing Commander 5, would yes. you come back and do it? No, no, I no. don't care for any people here. <laughs> of course, no, I love doing Wing Commander. It's a lot of fun. Everyone's very, you know, very pleasant. And, you know, we've worked really hard on this one. I think it's a good one. So, hey, I'm into Wing Commander 18. It's, uh, I mean... Uh, these are two of my favorite things colliding which is why you know one of the sort of the big appeals of, of wing commander is because my two biggest loves at this point you know in terms of films would have been star wars and back to the future and i love 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 biff tanners and the character one of the all-time great villains of cinema of cinema and a superb performance as well by wilson as the character it's a shame that he didn't get any more out of it really like i would have you know because he's so good as biff tanner and I really enjoyed this interview that he does here because you don't really see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, Wilson interviews and stuff. And they do bring up working on Back to the Future. They do bring up working with Michael J. Fox, but he's an incredibly professional man. He's just like, nope, he's a good lad. And I like working with him. But we fist fought a lot. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> that was a left field. I think it's because he was talking about how like he used to, he gets slapped a lot in films. He never gets to kiss anyone in films, but he does get slapped a lot. Yeah, leaving the kissing he did do in Back to the Future because... It's quite sexual assaulty when you look back at it. It's like, I'm amazed that I watched Back to the Future for the first time on Christmas Day. Oh, yeah. The BBC One Prime film. Shocks me to that point. Poor old, poor old uh, Biff Tannen as well, being recast by Matthew Lillard when the film comes out. Like, I know, oh. I, I know that, you know, that they wanted to recast everyone because the producer didn't think that Mark Hamill in a sci-fi movie would like draw any viewers to anything. So it was Freddie Prince Jr. and Matt Lillard. But yeah, I, you know, you're, you're Thomas F. Wills and you're like, Oh, could I not have done the the big screen version as well? That'd have been nice. Yeah. It would have been. It would have been great. It would have also been continuity. It would have been lovely. It would have been the first time ever a game and a movie would have direct ties. But Tom, as is so often the case, gets this. Like he yeah. is a savvy guy. He's a lovely guy by all accounts. But he really gets this because Dom's like, if there's a Wing Commander five. Would, would you come back? And Tom's like, no, I don't care for any of the people here. Fuck them. <laughs> I'm Very kidding. Good. Of course I will. I'll be back for Wing Commander 18. Hate to tell you, mate. 
there isn't a Wing Commander 18. Yeah. You're, you're, a, you're at the end of your road here, unfortunately. Unfortunately, Mark Luke Skywalker Hamill was so intimidated by my unique interview style, he hid in the nearest prop. Mark, come on, mate. Come on. It'll be all right, honest, I promise, right? I won't ask you any weird questions, all right? Come on. It'll be a laugh. It's going to come. Eventually, I'd caught Mark with a makeup lady and said I'd tell his wife if he didn't talk to me about his character, Christopher. Mark, tell us a bit about what Christopher does in Wing Commander 4. Well, he thinks the war is over, you know. Uh, just the way Mark thought the, the storyline was over, and I thought, you guys, I mean, if we're going to do this again, we can't have another big space combat game, can we? Uh, as successful as the last one was, I think the public would really be upset if we just rehashed the same old thing. And uh, to me, this is even more intriguing because it's, it's about the society readjusting after the war is over. Did you play Wing Commander 3 yourself? Yes, but not very well, Dominic. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have hundreds of people that, that uh, make me look like a, a superb pilot, but I get comments from my kids like, Dad, don't ever play this in front of my friends, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Is it a 100% battle of laughs working in a CD-ROM game? Uh, it's really interesting doing this. It's frustrating in a way. The script goes like this, and yeah. then it can go either yeah. this way or that way. Yeah. Just keep your mindset on the end result, which would, should be a really fun thing to play. This is the bit of improv that I really did like with Dominic Diamond. He was like, oh, come on, mate, it'll be all right. I won't be that weird, I promise. Yeah, but eventually Dom does manage to get him to sit down via that time-honored journalistic tradition, implied sexual infidelity and blackmail. I, <laughs> Dominic I, I, Piers Morgan Diamond. <laughs> I thought Mark was good game for this as well. You know, sort of about how like he didn't play the game particularly well the first time round, and he had a very interesting point here as as an actor. Like filming these CD-ROM games are fun and it's interesting. He likes working with the crew, but it can also be a bit frustrating because, like, as an actor, you've got to learn a script and you would just sort of learn scenes as they go along. But with the CD-ROM game, you've got to do the sort of branching thing. So how do you as an actor sort of like make sure you're carrying on the performance that you're trying to do from the previous scene into the next one, you know, depending on where the branch goes? It's fascinating to see how Mark approaches this interview versus how Tom does, because both are very professional on the set and both are really good at what they do. But Tom kind of sees Dominic for what he's doing and is like, I'm going to play with this. Mark is like... No, I treat this as seriously as I treat everything else. And when he's actually talking about, like, he's talking law and motivation for his character of just like, well, this is adjusting to peacetime. He's almost drawing parallels to John Rambo here. And it's not inappropriate, but it is not, I think, what Dominic is expecting. What we get is decent insight with less gags and we do get a little bit of dom going you know do you play the game and he's like well yeah but not very well and i'm like told by my kids never play this in front of my friends and i really really enjoyed seeing mark hamill talk about this here because it's lovely to see him talk about like i don't think malcolm mcdowell gave two shits about wing commander I mean, Tom certainly saw it as a good payday, probably gave a bit of a shit, but also didn't necessarily think about where his character's motivation and, and drive came from. Hamill does. Hamill gets it. He already sees that interactive CD-ROMs and interactive fiction are just as valid as any other form of entertainment. And I, also, I appreciate that. I also guarantee that they went to LA to do these interviews here thinking that they would be able to ask Mark Hamill about Star Wars. And then they got there and Mark Hamill's rider, or like, you know, the the 
prerequisite of doing these interviews were you cannot ask any questions about Star Wars. Because he asked Tom Wilson about Back to the Future, but there's no Star Wars chat here. And that is because Mark Hamill at this time was done with Star Wars and talking about Star Wars. And I mean, I've, I've heard stories about like, you know, Daniel Radcliffe, when he does interviews for things now, has in his things, you cannot ask questions about wizards or magic. And he's just like, it, cannot ask me any questions about this because I'm done talking about it. There'll be a period of his life where he'll be happy to talk about it again. For the time being, no wizards, no magic. Don't ask me any questions about that. Yeah. Also, don't ask me about J.K. Rowling at Eesh. all. Yeah. But yeah, Wing Commander 4 will be due in the shops next month. And you should be able to find out if the Wing Commander bandwagon is still going strong then. I, you can go and buy Wing Commander 4 based on the DVD version from good old games now. And it is... It's a bit clunky in places because it is a 1995 game revised for 1997, but it's still fun. Mm -hmm. And it still has, you know, Mark Hamill. It still has Tom Wilson. It still has official mad bastard Malcolm McDowell in it. So absolutely worth checking out. You can get it dirt cheap now and it runs on most low-end PCs. I recommend it. Well, let's get into our final challenge, the second celebrity challenge of the day. What are we playing, Games Master? Panther's pitiful performance on victory boxing. Let's see if her teammate, Cobra, can prevent a whitewash as he steps into the ring on the PlayStation title WrestleMania. As usual in fighting games, players should try to use their special moves to secure a victory. And the two characters I've selected, the clown and the sumo wrestler, have plenty to keep them busy. The right lads, it's the best of three rounds. Hit the match. Now, this is a game very much in yours and my wheelhouse. It was reviewed a couple of weeks ago, Ash, but I believe it was also reviewed in Games Master magazine. So let's have a look to see what they had to say about it. It wasn't just reviewed once in Games Master magazine because we are now on to the December issue. It wasn't just reviewed twice. It was reviewed thrice. We've got the PlayStation, the SNES and the Mega Drive versions reviewed. So we'll start with the PlayStation version because that was what was reviewed here on the TV show. Luke, can you remember what it got? Yeah, it was reviewed back in episode five and it got 92% there. Ah, uh, well, we'll see how it does here because, hey, Luke, we've got reviews and you know what game that means we're going to yeah, get to play. Yeah, hey, 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 <laughs> you, did, you did a lot better last time. You got yeah. some right. I did get some right. Is it Les? It is Les. Oh, God. Okay, I can tap into Les. <laughs> I think me and Les were <laughs> dinner a... first. <laughs> me and Les, me and Les have got a similar wavelength. I think I can, I think I can hear what he's typing. The Les Whisperer, mate. That's a film that you can find in a certain section of a video rental store. <laughs> Mortal Kombat in tights, only faster and more outrageous, with lots more. What the hell was that moves? And of course, the characters here are real, sort of. These are grown men, for God's sake. Surely they could have gotten proper jobs by now. Yeah, I could just see The Undertaker as a school teacher or Yokozuna as a fitness instructor. Come to think of it, these guys have kids and stuff. I bet they never get picked on at school. My dad could have your dad. Yeah, right. What about the parents' evening? Would you give a kid a bad grade when The Undertaker comes looming into your office? Anyway, love it or loathe it or if you're sadly deluded, take it seriously, you can't deny that the WWF has had a huge impact over here. The main events pull in more viewers than the big premieres on satellite TV, the tour sell out, millions of dollars are made from merchandising, and basically, it's fun to watch. But we don't think it's real. Honest. And this is in the downturn of the WWF at this point as well. This is the new generation era where they are not doing the numbers they were doing in the 80s. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of, I've never really dropped away from wrestling fully, but this era is the closest I came. And what pulled me back in 
it wasn't Vince McMahon's company. It was a small upstart from New Jersey. Now the glitz and glamour and pretend violence of the sport have been brought to life with frightening realism with the PlayStation version. This time around, a claim of stuck less rigidly to the standard half-believable moves that made the other 16-bit wrestling games a bit tame and come up with something a little different. After all, when was the last time you saw a wrestler take a baseball bat to someone's kneecaps or throwing dark ghosts to suck an opponent's energy? I mean, it would be GCW shows on WrestleMania weekend usually. Yeah, sounds about right. That's right, folks. We are talking about a wrestling game, but with outrageous Mortal Kombat moves, complete with fatalities and everything. Each character has got dozens of moves, enough to keep even the most hardened padwaggler busy. Believe me when I say outrageous. I mean seriously outrageous. So it beats Mortal Kombat in the moves department. Then it comes in and seriously kicks butt with its speed. The action is lightning fast with all kinds of things happening before you have a chance to think. Normally this would really put you off a game, but here it works perfectly. WrestleMania may lack some of the subtleties of the Tekkens and Toshindens of this world, but for fast, action-packed, in-your-face fighting, you'll have to go a long way to beat this. It may only have eight characters, but it's got more than enough moves to keep them all fresh when you play. Let's face it, playing games is supposed to be fun, and fun is something that has been seriously lacking in modern fighting games. It's all getting too serious. WrestleMania puts the fun back into smashing someone's skull to pieces. It may be rigged, it may be supposedly for kids, but hey, WrestleMania is a stonker of a fighting game and is well worth breaking your, or at least your brother's, legs to get hold of. It's fast-paced fun and everyone here loves it, which must tell you something. After you've got Mortal Kombat 3, this is the next game to buy. Mm-hmm. So that is positive reviews right there. It is very positive. And we're talking about the PlayStation version here. So we're going to do the standard. I'll mm-hmm. read the comment and then you take your guess. Okay, come on, Les. We got this, buddy. Graphics. Digitized characters mean stunning graphics, even on the most outrageous of moves. Great to look at. 94. <sighs> Too high. 91. <sighs> okay. I was, very, I was very, very praising there, Les. Sounds. Tons of commentary and all the wrestlers' music is in there, as well as plenty of grunt and groan effects. Okay, well, so that wasn't as praising as the first 90%. Oh, slightly under, 92. <sighs> Gameplay. Stacks of moves, combos and breakers to tie in with the lightning action. Easy to get into, tough to master. Now I'm going to go back to my original 94 Boom, boom, boom. 94. You got it on the nose. Nearly said 93, but I'm glad I stuck with 94. Come on. Lifespan. One player gets very tough against more than one opponent. Two player mode could live forever. Oh, I mean, that sounds big, but I don't think it's going to be huge. Um, Okay, 94. Yes, 94. Two in a row. Look at you go. There we go. I wish you could see his face light (laughs) up. I told you, it's me and Les. (laughs) Me and Les, my friend. Overall a game that shows off the pure entertainment side of the ahem sport. The outrageous moves and action make it a real laugh to play. Great stuff. Okay, I think we are probably still in... Hmm, it's big here. So we've had 91 and 93. 90, graphics were 91, sound were yeah. 92, and 92. then you correctly guessed that gameplay and, and lifespan were 94. 94, okay, 94, 94. I wonder if they're just going to average it out to 93, or do they bump it up to 95? Or do I just stick with 94? 94. Ah, oh, it's 93. I was going to say, one of the numbers you said is correct. I thought they might go down. Damn. That was close. I mean, I'm glad you didn't go for 95, because I'd have looked at you like a dog that's just been shown a card trick, because I'm like, why would they average up? But... We're not alone. We've got the SNES version. I won't read out the entire review, but we'll 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 go straight to the scores. I do also want to say that Games Master Magazine has finally updated their imagery to be 
I wouldn't call it in line with the heaven theme, but there are some wings involved. They've gone kind of more metal, like like kind of like this barbed wire around the outside and like lots of wires and what looks like engine bits. It's quite weird. Hmm. It's a bit weird. And, and that's literally changed this month. So we're two thirds of the way through series five by the time this issue ends. And they've just gone, oh, we'll just do our own thing at this point. Fuck it. Yeah. So the SNES version, graphics. Wow. Sprites that look like the real wrestlers, especially good as they have to turn to. Hmm. Feels like a 90. You sticking with 90 flat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 90 flat, yeah. 93. <laughs> hmm. I suppose you're comparing it to other things on the SNES. So, you know, if you look at it, they're probably comparing it to Mortal Kombat and the like. Maybe, yeah. Sounds. Good sampled speech, although the screams and grunts don't sound painful enough. Ooh, okay, so I don't think that's in the 90s. I'm going to go DeLorean 88. 92. Wow, okay, I was way off base on that one. Gameplay. A good range of moves for each character and some nice features, like out-of-ring scraps. Uh, 92. 90. Mm. Oh, dear me. I'm off. I'm off. It's not Les. I, can't, I don't know. I'm all, it's all not Les. Show. I was about to say, it's not Les. It's Pete. Buddy Pete. Lifespan. Unfortunately, with only six characters, because the SNES version lost two, even with double teaming, this gets repetitive. That sounds like it's in the 80s. I'll go back to Dorian 88. 87. Oof. It's close, though. That's the closest I've come thus far. Right. Let's recap. Graphics were 93. Sounds were 92. Gameplay 90, lifespan 87. Overall, Pete says, a fun game that lets you do some fancy moves straight. The only drawback is the limited cast list. What? No Bam Bam? Yeah, they cut out Bam Bam and Yokozuna, and I bet you it's because they were the bigger sprites. Yeah, okay. Now, my options here are to stick at flat 90 or go to in back into the 80s for 89. But I'm going to say 90%. Oh, man, I was rooting for you. It is 89. <laughs> ah, dang it. Now, you've got the Mega Drive version. This is your chance at redemption because Mega Drive was your platform of choice. Oh, yeah, this is home field advantage here. And I can tell you, it's Pete reviewing again. So oh, keep in Pete. mind so keep in mind what he said for the last one. Use that to guide you. Graphics. The digitized characters are good, if a little pixelated, while the animation is top-notch. Okay, 91. 93. Ooh, Same okay. as the snares. Same as the snares, yeah. Sounds. A bit dodgy here. The fight noises sound more like static than screams and howls. That's one hundo p in the eighties. Eighty-five. Eighty. Oof, that's a quite a dip. Gameplay: the controls are slow and feel slightly unnatural. Otherwise, some great head-bashing moves. Eighty-four. Eighty-seven. Hmm. Lifespan: only six wrestlers mean there are a limited number of combinations, even in co-op mode. Uh, yeah, uh, 80s again, 85. Very close, 86. <laughs> so, graphics 93, sounds 80, gameplay 87, lifespan 86. Overall, the best wrestling game to hit the Mega Drive. Pick it up and slam it onto the canvas. The two-player action is a must. See, now there... I, based on everything else that he said, I was like, that is purely in the 80s. However, like that seemed very praising, which means it might be over to the 90s, but it's not going to get higher than the SNES version. And the SNES version, as a quick reminder, was... 89. 89. So I think this is going to be, I don't think it's a DeLorean, 80... I'm going either 6 or 7, 86. Oh, shit, mate. 87. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> 
You did so. Le I will stick to Les reviews in future for you. <laughs> okay, we're just about to enter the final part of today's event. Gladiators hard, don't make me laugh. At the moment, the Pundas team are 1-0 up, so Cobra has to beat Spiros at WWF WrestleMania to try and restore some pride to the Gladiators. Kirk, are they going to be able to do it? Well, Dr. Diamond, I mean, basically, Cobra's got a big challenger here. What it is about is getting your opponent in a headlock, and that's where you can pull off the majority of your special moves. Now, you've got to be quick in your button, though. Try and get that special move in quickly. Otherwise, they could pull a reverse on you, and it'll all end in tears. Okay, then. I've got one question here um, about Kirk being in the booth, which is that they're talking about, you know, the special moves and things like that, but it's Dominic Diamond saying that Cobra needs to win here to claw back some dignity for the gladiators. What would happen if Cobra had won here and tied them up one all? I mean, they might have gone to a third challenge. They might have rock, paper, scissor it, or they might have gone either joystick each or nothing each. That's what I'm thinking here. Like, I wonder if, you know, the, the rules were that the civilians had to beat both of the gladiators in order to win the golden joysticks. There's only like seven minutes left of the episode, so we're not getting another challenge knocked in there. I mean, maybe it was going to be two out of three and they kind of fi they fixed it in the edit with a couple of reshoots because the Glads lost two straight. And so maybe they did a little bit of a refilm of the intro. They fixed it with Patrick Moore's intro. And yeah, that was or, it. Or it's just a case of they knew the, the they just knew that the Gladiators weren't going to win. So they were quite comfortable with just doing two challenges. Yeah. We've got Spiros as Doink, or as Games Master called him, the Clown. And Cobra is playing as Yoko, or as Games Master called him, the Sumo. Both accurate descriptions and probably how they'd be listed in Fire Pro Wrestling to avoid copyright issues. Surprisingly, Cobra actually takes the first round here. Like, you know, later, yeah. on, later on he talks about the fact he got beaten badly, but he dominated this first round. Yeah, I mean, neither of them are great at this game. I mean, I would have hoped that the gameplay in this, at least from Spiros, would have been a bit more solid. But no, it's just, it's it's so-so. Yeah, it is what it is. He likes going up to the top rope and doing a, a you know a big top rope move and stuff, and he's very good at doing the electric buzzer move. Oh, um, the hand shock, yeah, yeah. So they yeah, they did uh, doing some bits and bobs around here. He ties it up for the second round, and then he do dominates the third round. But Cobra makes this really good comeback, very tense towards the end, and then Spiros goes up top, whiffs his big elbow drop but then just pins Cobra anyway and gets the win. Yeah, the second round, the first one that Spiros wins, he completely biffs the pin. It's almost like in Mortal Kombat when it's like finish him and you you flip the button combination so they just fall over of their own accord. It, it's that moment. But I'm glad he got the pinfall here for a decisive victory. This was a much better advert for a game than victory boxing was earlier. Yeah, I mean, this looked scrappy, but fun. Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, you don't have to be amazing at this game to have a good time playing it as opposed to with Victory Boxing, whereas I think if you're bad at playing it, you're just mashing buttons and not having a great time. Mickey had a fantastic start there. You did get the first fall, then it all started to go a bit wrong. What happened? I got beat badly, that's what happened. You did, uh, you yeah. couldn't quite fire up those special moves. No, like, like Spiros I think the pressure of my partner not, not winning uh, <laughs> got to me and that was it. I just fell to pieces after the first <laughs> round. Got overconfident and yep. got whooped. You I certainly did, uh, Spiros. What can I say? Tell us uh, some, of the, some of the tactics you were using there. Then. I was getting him in headlocks and um, then just pole driving him and then using the joy buzzer and then just jumping on him. And so you're basically saying it was easy, wasn't it? Yeah. You were, you were saying Cobra is soft. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, it's uh, nice we've got something agreed. You probably cost Cobra and Panther their jobs now. That's right. You what do you look like in uh, Lycra? Lycra. 
I don't think our viewers need to necessarily But in the post-match, Dom asks Cobra what happened and Cobra comes up with the basic succinct, I got beaten badly. That's what happened. <laughs> Which I think is unfair on himself. He, you know, he did really well in that first round. But he then shoves the blame off by going, oh, it was the pressure of Panther losing, really. Yeah, Panther losing earlier put too much pressure on me and I couldn't quite come, I couldn't quite muster up the energy for it. But Spyros is all about his offense. He's like, I was working on the pile drivers and the hand buzzers. I'm not sure he 100% knows what a pile driver is. But, you know, is there a chance that Spiros's behavior may have cost Cobra and Panther their jobs? It depends on how he, go- how, depends on how he looks in Lycra, I guess. And on that bombshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he is uncomfortable answering that question and he has no idea what to say. But what we get is a golden joystick for Pushbro and Spyros. Just one, though. Type bastards. Yeah, it's unfortunate, isn't it? And Cobra and Panther continue to ham it up, having a good old time. And continue being bad, continuing the tradition of gladiators being bad at video games. Do you know what this reminded me of in a lot of ways? It did remind me of the Panto special by just how much fun the celebrities are having throughout. Even though they know they're not going to win, they're not very good at games, they're just having a good old giggle. It is a good old giggle, this one. That's all for today's show, but before we go, remember, life... Is a lot like mixed tight-fitting spandex. Snug, but difficult to get out of. Bye-bye. An apropos end to the episode with our gladiators. And also, bloody hell, the fastest credits I can remember seeing in a while. This thing bleeds by because it was a long old episode. They've packed yeah. a lot in. It really did. And that is episode 10 of series 5. We are nearing the final straight for this heavenly run. Ash, what did you make of this episode? I really like this episode. I enjoyed pretty much every part of it, even the bits where I didn't necessarily agree with the reviews, but I'm just going to like run from the top down. Having the gladiators on, that's an instant win because we love the gladiators they're a good lo- they're a good time even if they're not the best games players then we get to the news section that's a bit of fun we get to talk about the ultra 64 we get shown a bunch of launch titles that weren't and at least two titles that never were in the end uh we got to talk a bit about time crisis uh we got to talk about um full moon we got to talk about charles band we got the gladiators challenge itself where even victory boxing being kind of crap to watch it's the people doing it that made it. Like, this was infinitely more entertaining than the FIFA tournament we've just got through. Yeah, and it's better than, and I think it's better than the Clay Fighter tournament we had in Series 3. And it's because of how they're selling it, not just the gladiators, but the kid contestants as well, the civilians. But yeah, so we had some great reviews. We had the set visit to Wing Commander 4. We had interviews with Biff Tannen. We had interviews with Luke Skywalker, but don't mention the Star Wars. And then we had this WrestleMania challenge, which again, while scrappy, was just fun. Everything was fun. Everyone was having a good time. There were jokes that landed. There were jokes that weren't, but no one was being nasty. And also weirdly, as I said, Dave Perry, I was agreeing with him. I find that very confusing, Luke. I, I'm similar with you on this one. I thought it was a very fun episode because of the people involved and the fun that they were having. The games playing is is not great. Uh, that's not completely their fault. I just don't think Victory Boxing was the game for them. It worked so much better with uh, WrestleMania, the arcade game. But the personalities of Cobra and Panther really carry this. The kids as well are also really good. I enjoyed the feature. I enjoyed Dave Perry flying the flag for 2D games playing in the review section. I thought that was a very, very fascinating little bit of video game history. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty solid episode. Like, reviews-wise, like, score-wise, I am not in the 90s, 
Uh, but I am certainly mid-80s, I think. I think I'm looking at about 85% for this episode. Really? I'm way ahead of you then. I'm solidly in the 90s for this. I'm at 91. I, I For me, it, it's because the games playing wasn't great. Like, if we had that, then I think that would have carried me felt... That would have carried me over. But, like, you know, oftentimes I do like to watch this for the games being shown on screen, and we didn't get a lot of that here. That's fair. I guess I'm looking at it as the overall package, and, you know, was I entertained? And the answer is... Yes, I very much was. But that is going to do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram at under.console. And why not send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you want to provide a bit of real-time feedback, a real-time interaction with myself, Luke, with other listeners, other fans of retro gaming and retro pop culture, you can do so by joining our Discord where we've got a lovely bunch of people all hanging out. There's been a lot of WrestleMania chat for mysterious reasons, and also, ooh, the news that Monkey Island is coming back. I just saw that, yeah. And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash underconsolepod, where at the £5 level you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad-free. But if you just back us regardless, you get access to UCP Extra and UCN, our monthly community podcast. At the £10 level, you get a little bit extra. Ash, what do they get? Oh, they get one of our glittery golden underconsultation Patreon joystick waggler mugs, which are stuffed with retro sweeties, retro trading cards, stickers, badges and a discount voucher for our under console pod t-shirt which will be available to order again soon i'm just cementing the supplier quality control is an important thing luke and shout out to those 10 pound backers xanderthal william tom simon sean retro fun for everyone reese paul nick misha matty boom mark link kevin jamie ian harriet's manga girl gordon dempster gordon brands david palmer david fisher darkside 73 cliff chrissy two sticks arcadia wild bill andy andrew cummings and adam d thank you all so much for listening we will see you in seven days time take care everyone good night up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.